On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. We're throwing it on back to the mid-80s. After four Rocky movies were made, a joke went around Hollywood that if a fifth Rocky movie were to be made, Rocky Balboa would have to fight an alien since he was running out of earthly opponents. Brothers Jim and John Thomas heard the joke and got a lot more than a laugh from it. They wrote a screenplay. Being new screenwriters, they didn't have a lot of backing in Hollywood, so they slipped the script under the door of 20th Century Fox producer Michael Levy. In 1987, their script, which became the movie Predator, was born. In the 35 years since its release, Predator has now spawned three sequels, two crossovers with the Aliens franchise, and most recently a prequel. We're going to talk about the prequel today. Debuting on Hulu and going on to become the biggest premiere in the history of the streaming platform, of course, we are talking about 2022's Prey. So keep your weapons close and your doggos closer. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. I'm like very tongue-tied tonight but how are you Brett I'm okay how have you been doing Katie I'm doing okay it's been really rainy lately so it's not been a lot of time outside but I'm doing okay watch the new Game of Thrones which I know you watched House of the Dragon and I watched a lot of movies this weekend we have a lot to talk about next week yeah. How about you? What have you been doing? Uh, I watched House of the Dragons because I've been waiting for it for two and a half years now. <laughs> so that may have been a thing in my house. Just a little just thing. Just a little you know? thing. I saw the just candles. Just a little thing. Yeah, just the candles and the dragon egg. Just been staying busy. Work has been crazy, which I mean, I think a lot of people can say the same thing about their works <laughs> this True. time of year. But I'm ready for fall. So I'm just like, we're over the last little hurdle of summer. At least the rain has allowed us to cool off. So. That is true. It hasn't been as mm-hmm. ungodly hot. And mm-hmm. like, I actually came home from work today and I was, it was a little chilly. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is, this is my time. This is the time of year that I love. But yes, I, I'm so glad that you picked this movie because I really, really, really liked it. I did too. It's a good one for sure. So I was excited to cover it. And there's a lot in it. And I will admit right off the bat, I had seen the first Predator movie 
years ago. Yeah. So many years ago, I remember basic things. So I remember like the heat tracking technology. I remember like the decapitation thing. But I, there was a lot of little nuggets that I wouldn't have known about if I hadn't read multiple articles about this movie. Like they did their research. They, they have a true love for the Predator series, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched Predator in many, many years. I remember yeah. Get to the Chopper. Or Get to the Chopper! So that's a really bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. And I remember if it bleeds, we can kill it. Or if it bleeds, yeah. it's... We, I don't know. I remember vagueness of it. I remember machine guns and stalking through the jungle. And I remember when Alien vs. Predator came out. But it was very silly. And I was not putting much stock in this movie because the Predator series has gotten so silly because they were focusing on the Predator and not the Prey. Unlike this movie. Yeah. Which did the right thing. I remember uh, the line, that is one ugly son of a bitch. <gasps> yes! <laughs> I remember so that, that. That's that's hit my noggin now. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not a, the ones I remember them. I always thought of it more of an action movie and less of a horror. And I feel like this is more of a horror action like because there is a lot more like suspense in this movie and there's actually some very terrifying moments and not even from the predator but just like being a hunter in the middle of the woods like is kind of terrifying Mm -hmm. but also like i like that the characters are very grounded i love that it takes place in the 1700s and it has a primarily native cast however apparently the comanche weren't in the northern great plains they were in yeah texas and oklahoma so I'm not sure, but there were other Native American tribes there, so I'm not sure why they picked Comanche instead of, like, one of the other tribes that was more in that area. But you know what? It's pretty, pretty historically accurate. I yeah. did double check that the Comanche did actually use teepees because I know when my sister was working for the Cherokee Nation and I would go to visit her, people would be, like, performing in teepees, and I was like, did the Cherokee live in teepees and they're like absolutely not they lived in houses and caves they they were like they're like they're like you know like the Algonquin like they had long houses and you know they're like those are people who are just there for tourists who think that every Native American was in a teepee and so I was like okay Dan Trackenberg actually said he picked Comanche for a specific reason and he says because the story's an underdog story and Native Americans and more specifically Comanche are often shown as sidekicks or villains so there Mm. was like an actual like driving force behind that decision that makes sense because a lot of times in like old western movies it's either Apache or Comanche tribes who are the quote like the scary Native Americans attacking them and usually played by white people in brown face uh which this movie doesn't have any of thank god it's very nice not to have that they did have they they paid really close attention and pretty much everyone who's playing a native person has some kind of tribal affiliation whether it's mm. i wrote down because there's different everyone has like a different tribal affiliation but there's comanche lakota blackfeet i'm gonna mispronounce his name Owinga. Pueblo, yeah, which it's like it's like a specific kind of Pueblo tribe, Cree and Sioux, and there's also First Nation. So, okay, terminology. I don't know what you want to say, Brett, but I know there's different terminology, and it really depends on the person and their affiliation, and you know what they feel like. Because I know in Cherokee, most people said American Indian or Native American in the tribe, and then some other people specifically prefer Native. 
or Native American, and some people prefer First Nations, which I hear more often colloquially for, like, Canadian Native people, but I think all are technically, oh, a, like, correct, but just depends on the person and the tribal affiliation. Like anything, any kind of hereditary thing is going to be up to that individual person. So please forgive us if we say incorrect thing but don't be afraid to correct us if we say the wrong thing and also i forgot to do a housekeeping for a last episode for the host because i totally did not say please forgive us because we know we're about to mispronounce a bunch of korean names which i usually say so please forgive us if i mis- we mispronounce stuff which this is the same thing because there's a couple native american words um, Comanche specific words that they throw in. Some of them I tried to like Google and I could not find them, which made me kind of sad because yeah. I know that they did translate it into Comanche. So I know that they are actual Comanche words. Well, it's like Molspeats. I couldn't find an actual pick of a Molspeats. So they said it seems like a Scott Squatch or a Boogeyman, but like literally I was on the Reddit and everything and couldn't find anything about it. Yeah, I was trying to look up the, the flower name and I think mm-hmm. the word they used is just the word for flower yeah because i was like what flower is that it's magical and then sorry we're getting ahead of ourselves but i was like you know i'm sure there is a translator because i know like in which i only have experience because like i said my sister worked for the cherokee nation for a couple years and a couple of our mutual friends from college worked there so like part of it is they do educate you on like the language and i know that they wrote down the cherokee language i think I feel like my parents have a dictionary of it, like a like that explains the Cherokee language. And I know the Comanche language is something they used. Didn't they call it wind talkers? I think in World War Two, yeah, to help with code in World War Two. But I don't know if it's written or just spoken because I know it was a big deal for Sequoia to write down the Cherokee language. But I'm sure it's written down by now. But I mean, I don't know at what point it was a written language versus. A spoken language. But I just want to say that, like, if we mispronounce anything, please forgive us. And we're going to try to use as appropriate terminology as we can. But I've heard different individuals use different terminology. And it seems like it just depends on what area of America you're from and what tribal affiliation you have. Because it's a colloquial kind of thing, if that makes sense. That being said, I appreciate that they actually made an effort to cast... Native American people in this film because it's nice to see representation and they also had a really cool producer who is Comanche to like check them on a bunch of accuracy. Jane Myers. Yeah um so I can get a little bit into the backstory of the movie. So it is directed by Dan Trachtenberg which I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Mm -hmm. Before this he was best known for directing 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. He directed the pilot episode of Amazon The Boys which I love and the pilot episode of the Peacock series Lost Symbol. He directed a Black Mirror episode Playtest and he was one of three hosts of the Totally Rad podcast and was a former co-host of Geek Drum Podcast. Uh, Wikipedia does say he's developing a TV adaptation of Waterworld. And Portal. And Portal. That's cool. I didn't see about Portal. But it's rumored. So I don't know if it's actually happening. But he was working on this in 2016 with Patrick Eisen. Eisen? Eisen, yeah. He co-wrote the story with it. And so kind of what happened 
is that he said maybe more than any other character except Huey from The Boys, he relates to Naru. And he said there's this idea of thinking you can do something outside forces saying, no, you can't. And then you doubting yourself. And, you know, he's like, that's very autobiographical to me. And I think we would all agree that's a very universal thing. So I think <laughs> watching this movie is very easy to feel like Naru, even if your situation is different than Naru, it's very easy to feel like her. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to tag on to that. I love how they use language to help you identify mm-hmm. with her because the only English spoken is by people who speak Comanche. So when she's around people who don't speak her language, you can't understand them either unless you happen to speak French. So I like that's just like an added layer of like helping you identify with the main character. And I think that's a really smart writing trick um, that they did, which not it's not a trick, but I like I love when they do stuff like that where they're like. You, they need you to identify with this character and like they write it into there so you can put yourself in her shoes, which I just think is super great. Just a great aspect of this. Now, I will say that the French they use in this movie, though, is not is such a specific form of the language that he did mention that not even every French speaker will recognize language mm. instantly, which is really interesting, too. But the pitch did come about while the Predator movie the Predator movie was in production. And so when he pitched this movie, he said from the go, he's like, let's call it Prey. So they, he wanted to know that this film would be functioning different. It would be like similar to Rogue One or Solo in that it's the same universe, but it's a different film. It's like its own standalone film. Yeah. And he said, this is an R-rated Disney princess tale. That's the way he <laughs> pitched it. Yeah. And the reason he described it as this, and this is really brilliant, is that he says what most sci-fi movies are very convoluted. With this mm-hmm. one, it's a very simple storytelling device and it's easy to follow the heart of every scene. Yeah. Which... It's very true, and I think that's what kept the movie so interesting because it wasn't overly complicated yeah. and I at any like given time. If I'm remembering correctly, the first Predator is kind of like, it's a very simple story. Yeah. And it focuses on the humans. And I think there's only, I feel like the Predator's only in, it's either 8 or 18 minutes of the entire original film. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, in my opinion, I think I said this a little earlier, the reason, like, a lot of people tuned out of the Predator series is they were focusing so much on the Predators, but they're not the interesting part when you know... It's like it's like my theory on Rob Zombie's Halloween. It's not that it's not a well-intended movie and well-made movie, but in my opinion, when you get to know the monster, they're a lot less scary. It's a lot scarier when you don't know a whole lot about them, which is why this movie's interesting, because it is the same Predator creature, like, what am I saying? Species. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Same predator species, but it's 300 years before the other movie, so their technology's a little further back, and he, it seems like maybe he's the first predator to come to Earth, and so he's really testing it out, so it's a little more interesting. Although it could be that maybe someone else on another side of the planet had come there, but at least his first visit to America. Yeah, so, so that's what they, they addressed to that too, because especially a lot of the early conceptual arts and stuff, fans were like, oh, this is the first time a Predator's ever land on Earth. And he's, him and, they've been joking, they're like, well, it's the first time this Predator has landed on right. Earth. Which is like the inside joke that they always say. But yeah, that's kind of like the really smart thing. So there's definitely this love, and he had mentioned in an interview, he saw Predator for the first time when he was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And this was like in the, I guess, early 90s, late 80s. And you know... 
he kind of loved the movie. And so there's definitely, like, like I said, there's a lot of, like, Easter eggs compared to, like, the comics and the other films. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of heart that goes into, like, the love of this overall series. But if you're a complete novice with Predator, which is what I am, you can mm-hmm. still watch this movie and completely enjoy it. Yeah. And I, mean, I think that's a definite testament to this film. Yeah, because I've seen literally Predator and it was... I barely remember it. It was that long ago. And I have had no interest in seeing any other Predator movies. Yeah. They kept saying over and over again, they kept making this allusion to the hunt for Red October in interviews where it was like, we really wanted it to start in Comanche and then segue into English because they knew... They first were like, they they wrote the script and it was like, this will be all in Comanche. And then, like Katie said, the producers were like, it's a money thing. And I mean, I hate to say it, but it is true. Not many people watch things in subtitles. That's why we have a Goodnight Mommy remake that was just announced. And I'm like, oh my god. But that's besides the point. Mm. Uh, so, it's like, mm. you know, people don't watch things in subtitles. But the great thing is they did do the dub. So, it is a preservation of the Comanche language. And when they auditioned the actors, the actors did scenes in both Comanche and English. Yeah. Because it was still up in the air if they were going to do one language over the other. So I am very glad. Now I did, before we get too far into it, just to be fun, because there's a female protagonist, I was curious, and I told Britt a little bit about this, what the reaction was. Because I had heard mostly positive things about this and I had a very positive opinion of it. And I was curious if anybody had a not-so-positive opinion. And so I, I... went on YouTube and I was like looking up like prey reviews and I was just kind of looking through and all the all the regular suspects came up and by the way I did this after I wrote all my notes because I don't like to watch other people's reviews until I've finished writing my notes because I don't want it to like sway me either way but there was I'm not even going to say this person's name because I don't want to give them the attention but there was a very specific political commentator i am only familiar with because i dated somebody who used to listen to their stuff all the time so i was like and their clickbait title was pray is everything wrong with modern cinema today and i was just like all right wait yeah praise everything wrong with modern movies is what their title was and i was like i have to know because like everybody it has a really good rotten tomato score it's like 93 i think percent on rotten tomatoes and i feel like Mm -hmm. the even the audience score is like in the 70s or 80s so i mean like it's a good score and there's not even that many like i think there were like 17 bad reviews and most of them were just like they're cgi animals and i was like well Depends what their budget was. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But some of them are just like, she's not as tough as Dutch, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, I think, in (laughs) Predator. And then one is like, if you've seen one modern, quote unquote, strong female action lead movie, you've seen them all. They basically take the very same Ma Ray Sue. What is Ma Ray Sue? And insert them into every. Oh, Mary Sue! Just say Mary, oh, Mary Sue. Oh. Which I don't think okay. she's a Mary Sue character. She's not that much of a... Which Mary Sue, if you don't know, is like a... Especially female character who's just like automatically good at everything. Like everyone was saying Rey in the Star Wars sequels were... Was kind of a Mary Sue. Which she is a little bit. But like she at least has some depth. Then one person admitted to... I recorded six scenes of the movie. My brother was considering watching but doesn't have Hulu. So just give him your Hulu password. Don't... 
you know, recorded on your phone. Every scene forced quote-unquote misogynistic natives, including her mother telling the female native she can't be a warrior and belongs back at camp cooking, aka in the kitchen. That does not happen in this movie. She makes no. one comment and asks her why she wants to hunt. She says, because you tell me I can't. She doesn't say, because I'm a lady. Like, it was very, very nice. I t- and then, and then the last one, my suspension of disbelief was obliterated when the natives talked about, quote unquote, blood loss, like a normal thing. Lol. Apparently 1700s natives were medical physicians. I'm like, do, do you not, like, people did understand things in the 1700s. They may not have understood everything, but like people knew what was happening, like that if you lost a little blood, you were going to die because it's like they saw someone get injured and bleed and then they were like, oh, and now they're dead. Okay, maybe it's the loss of blood. Also, this other person was like, in the end of this movie, Naru is like unfazed, which I did not get that from her portrayal. And they're like, but Dutch was so upset at the end. She doesn't feel anything. I was like, did you watch the movie? But I will say, the thing that made me mad is this guy was implying that one of my favorite movie channels, rather media, was like rolling their eyes at the wokeness of this movie. Now, then he backtracks after you watch his review. But I went to Red Letter Media and they basically had the same opinion I have on it, which I was like, it wasn't too woke. It wasn't anti-woke. They just have a female character. Stop making it a big deal. It's a good movie. Why do you have to be misogynist about it? And then they actually read a bunch of misogynist reviews. So if you liked listening to some misogynist reviews, please watch the Red Letter Media one because they laugh at them too. But anyways, because I, my my little heart went, not Red Letter Media. Yeah. Which they're not the wokest people, but they're not anti-woke. They're not over, they're very like normal. Like, and they're very like, Inoffensive. Well, I wouldn't say that. They have very... But, I mean, they're not, like, offensive people. They're nice people, from what I can tell. So, anyways, I went down a rabbit hole after I went through, like, all of the historical, mostly historically accurate stuff. But, yeah, so, of course, there's those people out here who are going to say that. But this movie's just not that. And it made me so mad that, like, we can't even just have a movie with that. And I think Jay on Red Letter Media pointed out that, like, literally people were calling the last Jurassic Park movie woke because there was a picture of Chris Pratt and another actress. And she happened to be a black woman. And they were like, oh my god, this movie's so woke. I'm like, because she existed? And that's, I'm totally, like, that's exactly what, that's, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what they were saying from Red Letter Media. He was like, why are you mad at her for, like, it just, make it make sense. Like, yeah. But then this guy was like, the movie was okay, but this is the last great movie you guys will ever see because good movies are over. And I was like, no, they're not. Let's not let it ruin our movie going experience. I just think it's fun to laugh at them. Did we cover everybody who helped make the movie? Uh, I didn't really go into much about going back and forth with Patrick Aysen, who the screenplay is by. Um, So this is his first complete screenplay credit, but he produced and wrote on Wayward Pines, which has been on my watch list for years. And he was a producer on the 2016, 
16 series Kingdom, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, and the TV series Fredstone. And he was also a consultant on the TV series Legion. So he, it seems like he was a consultant <gasps> and he Legion. wrote episodes for every one of these series. But this is his first screenplay and I thought it was really good. And I did, I know you already mentioned her, but the producer Jane Myers is yes. a, she's a woman and she's a Comanche, uh, she's yes. a member of the Comanche Nation. So I thought yeah. that was really cool too. And she's also Blackfeet as well. Yeah. She had a couple really good interviews too and she also did does a lot of linguistics work um and so she did it for magnificent seven which was i don't think it was a very great remake but i i'm guessing if she did the linguistics work it was at least accurate and Mm -hmm. monsters of god which i don't i'm not familiar with but she also does a lot of linguistics work as well with native american language specifically comanche which i think is really cool by the way i don't know if you saw this but the Jim Thomas and John Thomas, the brother group mm-hmm. that... The brother group? Brother what? writing team. The brothers. The mm-hmm. brothers! But they also wrote the Predator movies, the first two, but they also wrote the screenplay for Wild Wild West. Oh, I did not see that. That's funny. Which is one of my favorite silly movies. I love that movie. I think that's all I had written down. So I'm so get ready, y'all, because we're about to get into spoiler territory. Yes. Yeah, so once again we are talking about Prey. It is exclusively on Hulu. Um so and it's Hulu's biggest premiere they've ever had. So um yeah so watch it on Hulu guys. It's definitely worth the watch. So this is the plot. It's a very simple plot I wrote. In the 1700s a young Comanche woman looking to prove herself as a warrior meets the ultimate predator. It's such an yes. interesting movie. I also love that this movie was called Skulls and it was like supposed to be like honestly Dan kind of wanted the um, movie to like you not know that it was a predator movie until like a very specific scene 15 20 minutes into the movie and like reveal it but i think the producers were like hmm that's going to be hard to market so they yeah. ended up going with actually announcing it and it does Yay. kind of start like right october cuz she does speak Comanche and then but she kind of immediately switches to English yeah I think so it's like she speaks this line in Comanche and immediately says it in English which mm-hmm. is a long time ago is said a monster came here and so mm. yeah we see Naru and I thought you would want to say who Naru is yes Naru is played by Amber Midthunder which she is of Sioux and Lakota descent on her father Dr. Dr. <laughs> Actor, I wrote down actor and I said doctor. He's not a doctor. Actor David Midthunder, who is a pretty prominent uh, Native American actor, and he's done stuff for years. And actually, interesting, her she's also like Norwegian, and their last name used to be Midthun, and they added the der part, which I was like, that's interesting. I recognize her because I really liked the TV series Legion, and she played one of the Carrie Loudermilks in Legion. Um, when she was like a teenager, she's also currently playing Rosa in Roswell, New Mexico, which I do believe is a like continuation of the Roswell show that was big when we were like tweens. And she made her film debut in Sunshine Cleaning when she was like an itty bitty kid. And she um, also made her directorial debut with a short film called Don't which was actually featured in the Smithsonian, which I thought was cool. They had like a Native American film exhibition at some point. And this was like, I feel like it was like 2018, 
2019, maybe a little earlier. So she's pretty young because she's not, she's like in her early 20s. And I yeah. feel like when she's playing Carrie, like the whole point of her character was that if you've seen it, there's two Carrie Laudermilks and she's kind of the inner personality and when she they can coexist at the same time it's it's, by the way it's an x-men tv show it's loosely x-men it's in the same universe so it's a mutant who like it's two different people in one being but one of them fronts more often and she only ages when she comes out so she like looks like a teenager and acts like a teenager although the other carrie is like a middle-aged man so it's an interesting character but she's really good i really liked her in that and so i was like excited to see her was there anything that she was in that i didn't mention oh so just it's not it's not a it wasn't a big role but she did play a character named lana clearly in two episodes of banshee which i think is hilarious because when i was looking at her i was like why do i know her face and it's like (laughs) And it's because me and Taylor binged uh, one of my dad's favorite TV shows, which was on Cinemat, c- called Banshee. Yeah. It's a balls-to-the-wall weird-ass show. And Tony Starr, who's Homelander and the boys play yeah. the lead character. But, yeah. So, I was like, that's where I know her from. Yeah, guys, watch Banshee. Not enough people know about it. So. Oh, yeah. I think we've talked about it on here a few times. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's on my list. I need to add that. Um, Yeah, she's... I really like her. She's a really good actress. And I think she's probably the biggest name in this movie but there's a lot of actors who have done a lot of work that just maybe haven't been like as big movies like maybe not as like close to this what am i trying to say maybe not as recent and then of course we have sorry sorry whose real name is coco who was adopted in georgia for this movie specifically and yeah she's so cute so this is really funny. I did want to say about Sari is that our well Coco Coco the actress mm-hmm. uh, the pup she so she was adopted in Atlanta Georgia like Katie said from Fulton County Animal Service and she was originally meant to have a small role but test audiences loved her so much that Dan decided to include more of her and she was adopted specifically because she is a Carolina dog which is a rare breed of wild dog and they were the first dogs to accompany humans so I thought that was cool so they yeah. were very accurate in picking a dog for this movie that would fit that time so we kind of get life uh, for Naru and so she starts scattering and uh so we learned she's very proficient with medicine that's like what her mom later says is her calling or she believes it to be Naru's calling but she's distracted by these marks on trees so she begins practicing with her tomahawk in the woods and she sees a white-tailed bug and she attempts to hunt it but it's scared off by a loud noise and the pursuit of it Sari gets his because Coco's a female dog but by the way she's playing a male dog they do mention Sari's male in the movie Sari gets his tail stuff in the middle of a trap hmm. and Naru lets him out takes the trap and she hears a rumbling and oh, she goes and she heals, out. heals his tail yeah. with this orange flower poultice yeah which keeps coming back which I thought yeah I was it like, does Ooh. come back but she hears a rumbling she sees something fall out of the sky and yeah if I saw that thing fall out of the sky I would be terrified but she's kind of like looks at wonderment and it has this really cool yeah. scroll like that says prey and it's like in the predator style yeah it's yeah. really cool and she takes it to be a thunderbird which is a mythological creature in Native American lore and if you see like totem poles the one with the wing that's like a thunderbird. Yeah. It's like a very large bird, but it's supposed to like bring about like dreams and like be represented like visions of like future and stuff like that. And I guess before we get, since we know it's the predator, because y'all know it's yeah. the predator's ship, 
The Predator is actually played by a person, Dane Deligro, who has done a lot of, like, it seems like body work. So he was in The Walking Dead and a series that I've actually need to finish, a Korean zombie series called Sweet Home that is actually really good. He's in a few episodes of that. And he also played Baal in Mm -hmm. uh, American Horror Stories. The first season. Yeah. Which I've seen that episode, but it's been a really long time. It's the it's the Billy Lord episode. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because he's 6'9", so he's a tall man, but he's tall. still a bit sh- he's still a bit shorter than the original actor who was 7'3". Jeez. Who played the original Predator. Yeah. So we are we are in the Northern Great Plains in 1719. Mm-hmm. They do give the year. And we meet Tabe. He's Nara's brother. He's played by Dakota Beavers. Who is okay, Oliga Pueblo. Tribal affiliation. I tried to write down, I don't know, I, I find it cool, different affiliations. And this is his first film ever, but he's a musician and him and his family have played in like the Nashville area for a very long time. So he's hoping to continue with music, but this is his first acting gig. And I think he does a really good job. I think he does too. Yeah. yeah I really liked him. I'm, I was very surprised when I looked him up and didn't see him in anything else. Yeah. Well, he's a performing background. So like some people just like, are naturally like good performers and maybe this character might be more close to hit well probably not i don't know i do love the fact that they set up this brother sister relationship and i have an older brother and the relationship they have is a very accurate relationship where they kind of pick at each other a lot But they're supportive. And yeah, I, they are. I like yeah. that. But I just think it's funny because they do give each other shit, which is like anytime you see a perfect sibling, sibling relationship in the film, I was like, obviously the person who wrote this is their only child. Yes. <laughs> like, like yes. but anyway, he's telling the story of his uh, Katamiya, which he's like, you mm-hmm. know, and he's trying to tell her. So the big thing with the Katamiya is hunting something that can potentially hunt and kill you. So it's like mm-hmm. a... a a rite of passage for a warrior in their tribe. He's trying to tell her the story. And he's like, you know, my bow got wet. And she pretends to fall asleep. And so he shoots the uh, bird out of the air that she was planning to shoot. And he's like, you're not paying attention. And this is the first time you kind of get a hint mm-hmm. of her ingenuity. Because she's like, I was waiting for it to circle back around. Yeah. So she had a patient. Yeah, she had a game plan, but he wasn't seeing her game plan, which is right. what comes into play again and again in this yes. movie. Because that is something, and weirdly something Red Litter Media picked up on was, like, Mike was like, feminine strength makes me think of, like, patience and intellect. And I was like, oh, thank you, Mike. Yes, yes. Smart ladies. Because I will say, like, women are better at, like, sitting and waiting and being patient. Generally speaking, no offense, gentlemen. They can be. Not trying to be too binary, but, like, historically, I feel like women are a little more patient than men at least in this film that's how they're portrayed so we um we see in the tent with her mother and Nara makes medicine and her mother mentions that the war chief's knee is getting worse and so I will say that Naru and Tabe's mother is played by if I can get back to my page real quick Michelle Frush and I don't remember them giving her this name but she is credited as our Ayuka, which is, once again, Naru and Tabe's mother. She's best known for playing Gail Strong in Blackstone, also recurring roles in Norfolk Go and in Arctic Air, and she also starred in Jimmy P. Psychotherapy of a Plains Indian, so she's been in a few things, but uh she naru asks about the orange tatsua which is the flower that katie mentions that uh she uses the hill sorry's tell earlier in the movie and her mother 
asks this her because she's such a natural with medicine. Nara is very natural with medicine. She's like, why do you want to hunt? And she responds with, you all think I can't. And so her mom kind of sends her away to get more of this orange testoel, which is like a very important flower as part of their medicine. So then this is the first time that we actually see the predator ship drops the predator off. And of course we see like the outline of its kind of like, I, I guess it's like it's camouflage shield, which makes the predator looks invisible. And so she's gathering this, but she hears, Nara hears the young men gathering together. And they said a lion took one of their own, Pui. And the boys think she should leave, but Tabe defends Naru saying, you know, she's good at tracking, she's good at medicine. So her brother sticks up for her and says she should come on this this hunt for this lion, this hunt to find one of their comrades because she is beneficial to the group with both her tracking and also her medicine. So then the next scene, this is like the first time we kind of see the predator action. We see the cycle life. So we see this mouse eat this bug and then the snake eats the mouse. <laughs> And then I didn't know this, but um, reading about it, so the snakes are very snakes are very much like predators in that they have like this kind of infrared. They can kind of sense body heat. So the snake actually sees the predator, even though it's invisible, and attempts to attack the predator. And of course, the predator slices it up because that's what predators do, right? So we're going back. We see the predator, but then we go back to Naru, and with Naru's tracking, they do find Pui. Alive but very injured. So the men build him a makeshift carrier while Nara gives him some of the orange tesla to cool his blood. And Tabe wants to stay and hunt for the cat, the lion. But Nara is convinced that there is more than just the cat. Saying that there is a reason Pue is alive and something must have scared the lion away from its den. So Nara is already kind of putting the pieces together that, hey, this isn't, there's something more going on. And so Pue starts to complain of being cold after taking the the orange flower and Naru explains the medicine cools his blood so he won't bleed out. Sari alerts Naru to tracks as well as the skin rattlesnake and she notices whatever makes the track is huge and standing upright. So Naru leaves the men to go and warn Tabe and then Paka is sent with her and of course she does find Tabe who warns her they are in the cat's den now and they have to deal with they have to deal with that first before they deal with whatever else she thinks is out there. Naru suggests uh, baiting the cat and leading it to her. So Tabe is like, okay, you know, this is your time for your kutamiya. Like, this is time. And he tells her this comes back into play later. He says, when you come face to face to the line, you tell that thing, this is as far as you go. No more, this is it. So yeah, and that's when we get uh, Naru and Paka sitting up in the tree. I found this interesting because Paka is like, teasing her mm -hmm. but like in mid-sentence he gets taken down by a mountain lion which i forget they're out in the plains like i always think of them being here but they're pretty big in the west yeah and that's something that was one of the only parts of this movie that legitimately made me jump because yes. i knew something was gonna happen but it was so sudden when it did yeah so. he's like mid he's trying to scare her he's like They've got teeth and it's going to break you in half and they can stalk you wherever and then just, wah! And I was like, oh my god. And I love this because like visually it's very interesting because she's trying to balance on a tree. She's on one side of the tree and mountain lions on the other side of the tree. And she would have it, but she hears the predator in the background and she turns around and she loses her balance and falls and hits her head and she wakes up at home and obviously like head hurting a lot and she's her mom's like why didn't you why did you go you know 
and your brother had to carry you back and she feels really really like ashamed of that because you know she really wanted to make it through and then as her mom and her talking like Tabe returns with the head of the lion and it's like a warrior celebration they call him a war chief yeah they I think they like I think it's implied he's a new war chief because when when we first meet their mom she's talking about the war chief's knees getting worse and worse so it's yeah. like here's this new younger man who's going to be our war chief but yeah of course it burns naru and understandably so yeah i did want to point out chief kehutu i may be mispronouncing it. it's k-h-e-h-e-t-u they don't really say his name but the man who plays the chief is julian black antelope and he's in a lot of shows. He was in Jeremy Solnier's Hold the Dark, which I need to watch because Jeffrey Wright's in it too from Westworld and everything else. He was also on Helen Wills and TV series called Tribal. And the wife of the chief, Sumu, which they don't really, I don't think they say her name either, but Stephanie Mathias, she is the only daughter of a Squamish nation chief, like in real life. And I wow. thought that was cool because she's playing the chief's wife. But she's in Pathfinder, Da Vinci's Inquest, and the Logmire TV series. But I was like, I because I was just curious, like, everybody's, like, background. And I was like, that's freaking cool. Yeah. Like, and how, how appropriate, because I bet she had a lot of, like, input on how a chief's wife would act since her mother is one. And yeah. I was like, that's interesting and cool. But it, they have, like, yeah, so they've made him, like, the new war chief. And Tommy's like, hey, we did it. And Naru's like, you did it. And she's, yeah, she's better. She's upset. And then she's like, she points out too, like, she's like, there's still something else out there. Yeah. And he's like, no, we killed it. That was the mountain lion. She's like, no, we didn't. And then he finally, like, you know, he's trying to be, like, really nice, but then he eventually is just like, he's like, listen, you're not a hunter. You tried, but you couldn't bring it home. And it kind of lights a fire in her ass because the next morning she goes out by herself. Well, her and sorry. She's never by yeah. herself. She's always got sorry. I always like, she goes, if they don't see, then show them. And so I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's the way to do it. Like, yeah, yeah. And they go track whatever the creature was. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because, like, they find these really large tracks and she's like measuring it with a stick and she like mm-hmm. holds up the stick and she's like, that's really big. What the hell is that? And you see the predator hunting a wolf and it's interesting because the wolf is hunting a rabbit and then the predator is hunting the wolf and then it kills the wolf, which I did hold my hands above over Gizmo's little eyes. I was like, oh no, it killed the, the wolf. It's puppy yeah. adjacent. It's the second time we kind of see a cycle of life with like a predator chasing a prey mm-hmm. and then the predator chasing the prey. Exactly. Which I like. That's really nice. And then sorry, like, not sorry. Naru is hunting rabbits and she devises a new version of her throwing axe, which she puts a rope on it. So it's kind of like Gogo's weapon in Kill Bill the Mace. One. Yeah. Yeah. But, but with the chain specifically, which I always thought was really cool. Is her axe technically a tomahawk? She called it a throwing axe in okay. interviews because she was talking okay. about how her dad also has a throwing axe. Interesting. So I don't know if tomahawk is like more of a westerner terminology for it. Because I feel like it may have been western. Like, you know, when I was talking about the people who are in teepees for tribes that aren't affiliated with teepees, they call it chiefing. I wonder mm-hmm. if the word tomahawk has become kind of a chiefing term. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that. But she called it a throwing axe. 
It looks, it's more of the size of a hatchet. Yeah. I. It could be a tomahawk. I. She never referred to it, and no one in any of the interviews when they were talking about it referred to it as a tomahawk. So I have a feeling that maybe that's something that maybe cultural appropriation has turned into kind of a weird thing. And so maybe they yeah. don't use that word, or maybe they don't use it. Maybe it's more of like, well, that's what you would use if you're speaking Comanche, but they would rather... Just call it a throwing yeah. axe. I don't know. And a few different articles about the movie, I've seen it called axe and a tomahawk. So that's where I've seen the language go back and forth between the two things. Well, when she was she was talking with this YouTube channel that's like specifically run by a native person, which they actually apparently are both from the same hometown. And yeah. she specifically called it a throwing axe and he did too. So that's why I was like, maybe? Because I yeah, started no, writing... They- hatchet slash tomahawk and then i was like tomahawk is that what you call it so if you know please tell us because i honestly don't know if it's yeah a specific weapon yeah if the actress actress calls it a throwing axe and i feel yeah comfortable and confident in saying that then i'm sorry native media theory is the youtube channel i want to give them credit because he had a really good interview with her i'm um, talking about native representation in film but yeah so she makes the throwing axe which i thought was really cool because also she keeps having to retrieve it when she's practicing it earlier and now now she just has to pull it back and it's so much simpler and it's so cute because like sorry is just watching her yeah just go back and forth back and forth she's so cute apparently she has a very big head according to jane and amber they're like yeah. she's got a big old head <laughs> i was like oh she's so she's adorable so cute with her little bunny ears and that's what um we do see in the den the predator uses like a solution to wash away the meat and muscle from the wolf school mm-hmm. and he puts it on his belt or its belt I say, it looks like a male predator to me. She calls him a he. Yeah. Because I'm like, he looks looks male to me. He looks masculine. I don't know if they have genders. Do they have genders? I can't figure out if it's cosplay or not. But I do see predators with breasts every so often. But I haven't seen all the movies. So I don't know if that's canonical or not. But the predator hears Sari bark in the distance. And it turns on a stealth mode. So it basically at this point is now aware of Naru and Sari. Yes. Which it wasn't before. This is the one scene though. And I think this is a very pivotal scene in the movie. So mm-hmm. Naru in a metal comes across a whole fill of skinned buffalo. Yes. Which is of course deeply offensive to like the Native American culture. Because they don't believe in wasting. Right. And this is like, they're just all skinned and left for dead, which I never really understood that because I'm like, why wouldn't you at least eat the meat? Well, there's a very sweet thing where she like says a Comanche prayer over them and she finds the cigar butt. So at this point, like we, even if we thought it was the predator, we now know it's definitely human. But the one thing, and I will admit I'm not an expert in buffalo, but if one buffalo was being slaughtered, I wouldn't the other buffalo run away from the slaughterers. Like I was... A little surprised of how many were so close together dead. And then I was reading the IMBD trivia and they did point out that this was one of the very few things that was not historically accurate about the film. Because they said that they learned very quickly to be respectful of the culture and a lot of, it would be very rare for people to not salt and take the meat too. So I thought that yeah. was interesting. I was talking with my coworker and he was like the first person mentioned to me that he was like, yeah, the Comanche were not that far north. But then he also mentioned to me with this scene, he said, yeah, I don't think it was as common in the 1700s for people to be wasteful, but I think it was in the 1800s. And he was talking mm-hmm. about this movie 
that he said there was a scene and the guys were riding a train and for fun they were born on the train and they were aiming and shooting the buffalo as the train went by and he said obviously that's incredibly wasteful so he was like you were yeah. seeing things like that happen as more and more people came over which yes. is also really upsetting to think about too it is it's really sad so the movie before this isn't boring it's very interesting but I think this is where it really starts to pick up so we go back to the predator and he lands near a river and meanwhile in the yes. woods Naru sees a marking on a tree and she uh, she goes to get a closer look but then she stumbles into a bog pit and this is very scary because of course I uh, am it's like quicksand I always think of like the bog bodies and I'm like oh no it's a, <gasps> yes. bog, it's a bog pit and I wonder like how many times stuff like this actually happened but she uses her throwing axe with its rope to catch on to a tree and she's yes. finally able to pull herself out and I think it's hilarious because when we were watching this I said oh no she got her bow wet because she's washing all of her weapons off and yeah. washing her face off and she gets her bow wet which Tabe literally says earlier he's like I got my bow wet and it wasn't good Yeah, but sorry I also love the way they do sorry because it's like it's very convenient for sorry to disappear but they do make very dog like decisions for why she why he's gone yes. and so he comes back, back with like, like a, a rat little... <laughs> She's like, oh, like, there you are the whole time yeah. <laughs> that I needed help. But they get go wondering and they come across this grizzly bear by the river. And of course she goes to shoot it and the bow backfires because it's wet. It breaks. And so the grizzly charges her. But sorry, being the best boy manages to lead the bear away briefly, allowing Naru time to fix her string. But that doesn't stop the bear. So she, it, I love this scene. I was like, this is so like cool. Because she, mm-hmm. to get away from the bear, she dives into the river and swims into a beaver's dam. And I was like, that's yes. badass. Very smart. And sorry, don't worry. Sorry doesn't get eaten by the bear. Sorry runs away. But as she's hiding from the bear and the bear's coming at her, something gets the bear. Yeah. And this was supposed to be where it was revealed that it was the predator. This was supposed to be the scene because the predator fights the bear. And I mean, the bear puts up a good fight, but it does end up killing the bear with its bare hands. <laughs> it's... It's fucking, like, brutal because it's, like, so it's, like, a pretty even fight. And you see the first time the predator's shield is, like, Mm -hmm. injured because you can see parts of the predator where the bear's attacking. You see, like, this fluorescent green blood. So you know it's getting blows on the predator. Yeah. But it isn't fucking just KOs and punches it. Like, yes, (laughs) eviscerates. And and then it raises it above its head and eviscerates it. And there's just, like, blood everywhere. Which is so cool. Yeah, it looks cool. That's like one of the visually coolest scenes I've seen in a movie in a long time, I think. Also, when the predator was walking through the river earlier, the way they animated the water to like splash off its feet. I was like, ah, because it's invisible at the time. Like, I loved it. Like, they did a really good job with the invisibility cloaking. And, like, they gave enough of a shine so you could tell where it was, but you could understand why other people wouldn't. Like, it's not a perfect shield. Yeah. And I think that's better than it being like oh it's just invisible it's so cool like i was like this is this is incredible but nara does escape in a panic of course but she escapes and she's completely unsure what she saw so Mm -hmm. as she's waiting for the woods a group of like the fellow warriors come and they try to bring her home because they're like tabe told us to bring her home including wasape wasape's kind of a dick wasape is played by stormy kip 
who is not a dick. Ooh, this is another like first film for them. They are the one who like kept saying all the shit like, oh, she can't come hunting with us. She's a staying cuck. Ah, he's a dick. But he's kind of like leading all these hunters. They're like, Tabe, send us to find you. Because I think she's been gone for at least a day, maybe a day and a half yeah. at this point. And she's like, where's Tabe? And they're like, oh, well, he's on the other side of the river. And so she's like internally freaking out. She's trying to warn them and they don't believe her. And so they start forcibly physically carrying her back. And then she gets to do like a fucking fist fight with them. Yeah. It's like jets and the sharks. Like, it's like ugly. Like, they like sucker punch her. And she fights back too. It's not just, and she like bites one of their arms until it bleeds. So I think it's, it's actually brutal. this is what made me mad. So it's it's like her and him are one on one, and the other two just stand by and watch it happen. Which I'm like, good for them. Like at least they're not like intervening in the fight. And yeah, her and him are beating the fuck out of each other. Mm-hmm. But then as she finally gets to walk away, the other one does sucker punch her at the very end and knocks her to the ground. And I, I think they think that they're doing they're protecting her, but it's yeah. like, bitch, she doesn't need your protection. Fuck off. But yeah. I will say like it doesn't seem like they're even being sexist with the fighting they are kind of treating her like they probably would treat each other so i'm like maybe they're respecting her i don't like that they're punching each other but i don't know so like let's i'm like i feel like they treated that naturally because they're all like teenagers but their fighting gets interrupted by the predator coming upon them and i mean they all put up a good fight but ultimately he just eviscerates them one by one and at some point her and another hunter are running into a field and he thinks that he's got her predator in its sights but then she sees the laser sights on them she's like nope nope he's got us and they start running and she she's ahead so it kills the last hunter and she's getting through the field but then when she gets past the field she gets trapped in one of the bear traps and all of a sudden the predator's like oh you're not a threat anymore yeah and leaves her alone which is interesting because it's like oh he's not just like hunting he's hunting for sport and he doesn't want to hunt you if you're not, he's not threatened by you. Yeah. Which was that? I don't know if that was a point yeah. in the main movie. That was, I can't remember if it was in the first movie, but I do remember like my brother and my dad watching one. And it's like, I can't remember if it like was like an old person or like a baby, but it did like, it, it showed it as no fret, like on its little screen. Because that's the other cool thing. It's like, this is all, it's all the pet predator technology from the other films, but it's like a, a, like old version of it like a new like you know like it's yeah. not it's not the it's not the most updated version of the predator technology but they do yes. like they do pay so much homage to these other films but yeah well, i do believe that was in the, one of the other movies that was one complaint one of the misogynists said they were like why why isn't it like like the same technology i was like because it's 300 years beforehand yeah like it's not and it's not so primitive that it's not believable but yeah unfortunately for naru and sari and tabe the french fur trappers that killed all the buffalo or bison find them and one of them is called they call them him big beard yeah and I like that, I think I mentioned this before, but, like, I like that they don't translate the French because she doesn't speak French. So why would she understand French? Yeah. And it it puts you in her head because they're all, like, boisterously talking. Um, Big Beard seems to be their leader. He's played by Mike Patterson, who's in the Moody's A Small Part in Heist and on the show Raven's Quest. And she realizes when she sees him with a bison fur 
that they're the ones that have been killing the bison. Yeah. Buffalo. And the only person that she can communicate with is Raphael Adelini, who apparently that character was in one of the comic series, Predator 1718, I want to say. And so it's a character from the comic book series, and it was kind of alluded to. And he's played by Bennett Taylor, who's in Motherland, Fort Salem, Arrow, and he was on an episode of iZombie. But he's the only one who can communicate with her because he speaks Comanche. Yes. Which I th- I just thought it was a nice touch. It is. And he tries to get her because Raphael's the only one that can speak and he does say he speaks multiple languages. He's like, tell me what you what you saw because I he's like, I think this thing is a haunter. And she's like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you. So they bring out Tabe and they cut like they cut his chest. They essentially make him bleed. And mm-hmm. then they end up tying Naru and Tabe together to tree to use as a bait for the predator. And they have sorry. Muzzled. Yeah, they do have sorry muzzled. So the the Frenchmen are like chilling. They're watching Naru and Tabe. And they kind of realize too late that their comrades behind them have been murdered. But (laughs) Naru, yeah, so they're just like, oh, they look around. They're like, oh, shit. But Naru realizes that the predator doesn't hunt things it doesn't perceive as a threat. And so, you know, she's telling Tabe this. And Tabe admits he only killed the lion because Naru was able to weaken it. And she goes, Da-da. yeah, and I love this part because, of course, this is a callback to the original film. She's like, well, I don't know if this can be killed. And Tabe goes, if it bleeds, we can kill it, which is like going mm-hmm. back to the first movie. Yes. Also, but I love this scene. <laughs> I love this scene. My favorite part, and it is very accurate, is when there's a little comedic part where yep. like they're they're shooting at the Predator, but they all have black powder pistols and or not pistols they have rifles and they all have to stop to reload (laughs) and it kills them all which is true because i have shot that kind of gun before in real life and we i probably shot it i shot it a couple times we all shot it a couple times it takes like two to five minutes to load a black powder gun like that like you have to put the the powder in and then the ball with the little paper you actually use tobacco rolling paper is a good substitute by the way and then you have to pack it in and then you have to walk it and it's really loud and not very accurate so that was at least historically accurate but i found that part hilarious also there's a part where there's like a grenade of sorts and i love that most of them go towards it because i don't know what it is but one of them is like this isn't right and starts backing up and is like "Mm, uh, i don't think this is what we think it is i also my other favorite comedic part during this is there's a guy that shoots at the predator but he shoots the mask and the bullet ricochets and shoots back in his face yeah that was funny too he kills himself like yeah it's a lot of like it's a little humor but not like but yeah. it's mostly action but there's enough humor that's fun to watch and Navru is meanwhile telling the story of this beaver she's like during the flood you know there was this beaver and it was trapped and shoot off his own leg and she's like she's saying all this while she's holding their arms over like this trap and the rope between them and then she drops and it snaps their rope and, and she's like but I'm smarter than a beaver and so yeah. it's like this great little monologue as like it's building up the tension <laughs> So I was like, please don't cut my arm off. Please don't cut my arm off. Yeah, but this is great. So they have this real great cop-out moment. And I wasn't actually, I wasn't scared for Sorry because I was like, it's a main character dog. It's a main character dog. And so, but there's like one of the trappers like points a gun at Sorry's face. And meanwhile, Navra comes out of nowhere and kills the two trappers at the camp. So I'm like, yes. 
Protect yes. your baby. Well, Toby's getting their horses, which apparently was added. They didn't originally have horses, but the Comanche were very skilled horsemen. And so, or horse people, I guess. Horse uh, equestrians. Oh my God. There's a word for it. KGs. Very skilled equestrians. And so they added horses into that because it was more culturally relevant. And I was like, that's cool. So he's getting horses. But Nara like fights off like four people at that camp. By herself. Yeah. Like, she's fucking killing it. Literally. And as Tavi's eating the horses, Raphael, whose, like, bottom half of his, one of his legs has been cut off by the Predator's weapons, asks her to help him. And she's kind of wary. And he's like, I'll teach you how to shoot my gun if you uh, help me. And so she does start trying to heal him. And she does, she gives him the poultice that she's been making. And it's like the orange flowers, but it's also like a mushroom and a couple other things. And basically she keeps saying that it cools the blood. And so I think my understanding is that it lowers your temperature. Yeah. Which is important because the predator uses heat vision. Infrared? Not infrared. infrared. Yeah. I think it's infrared. But like, you know, he he does by heat heat signatures. That's how he sees. And so when he finally comes across the camp uh naru is hiding and sari's a little away and so he doesn't see naru and he doesn't see Raphael. so if you're cool he can't see you he sees you by like heat so she's like okay all right and sari comes back i love sari and starts barking at the predator this is like what gizmo would do to a predator <laughs> he would just bark at it Although Gizmo's much smaller than Sari. And he almost shoots Sari, but Tabe knocks its helmet off on a horse. And Tabe yeah. is fighting with the Predator. And it's a great fight. But then he realizes that, you know, because he said the thing, you know, when you when you find your prey and it's the end, you tell it this is the end. You, you stop here. You don't go any further. And he turns just to Nara. Yeah. And he's like, you have to defeat this. I don't. This is where I stop. I don't go any further. And he basically sacrifices himself for her. It is so sad. Yeah. But she can't escape. Yeah. Which is good. But now she also has clues to how to beat the predator. Because now she sets a trap, which is my favorite kind of thing. Yeah. But I will say, I like that they don't show, like, a montage of her setting up the trap. I was like, oh, please yeah. don't do this. Like, I just want to see it work. Yeah. And they, so we do see where their mother's told of Tabe's death. And Nagra oh, does yeah. grieve Tabe. So we do see, like, a sequence yeah. of her, like, it's grieving sad. him. But then, of course, after the grief, you're you're wanting to get revenge. Oh she yeah. Does. Uh, so sh- she finds the head trapper, the big beard, and wa- washing himself in the river, and she knocks him out. And he awakes to find rats chewing at the stump where his leg once was. So she cut off his leg and so she puts the gun out of his reach and and she uses the orange i guess Uh they call tessa to stop her body heat and she's telling him she's like you don't realize that i'm dangerous and she you you think i'm unassuming and that's what makes me you can't see that i'm killing you i love that and so the predator comes and he sees the trapper, the big beard, holding the gun, but he's yes. not aware of Navra because he also she strong. also built a big fire to get him there, which is super smart. But I love when she's like, "You can't see that I'm killing you, and neither can it." And I was like, "Ah, 
You so smart, girl. Yeah. But the predator comes and he decapitates the trapper. But while he's admiring the head, as the predator does, just picks course, up a head and admires do. it. Nara shoots it, and uh, Nara shoots it in the back of the head, knocking its like helmet off. And she takes it and she mm-hmm. books it out of there. So she lures him yeah. to the bog. She does. It tracks her. And so she's, she takes it once again, it's her ingenuity and her attention to detail. So she realizes that the predator jumps from tree to tree. So she like sharpened all these things to like spikes <laughs> to put on the tree. And also because it uses its helmet, I think to see better, it's yeah. not seeing her as clear. So she's like, she's doing all these different things to mm-hmm. know what she needs to do to defeat it. So she lures it there and she jumps out of the tree and gets it like that. And then when it's chasing her, it jumps from tree to tree tree mm-hmm. and injures itself even worse and now there's green blood everywhere and she finally with the help of sorry yes. lures him into the quicksand and he aims towards her but she's placed the helmet so it actually shoots himself in the head which i loved it using his yeah. own weapons against him and it's so good! And she lets out, like, this yes. great warrior cry, which you know she's just been holding in this entire time. And it's, like, so great to see her let that out. It is. And, I mean, it's a lot of emotion because, like, not only is she grieving, but she's also celebrating. But I like that when she returns to camp, they also welcome her as a warrior. But she's, like, immediately, like, we have to get to safer ground, which is why it upset me that some misogynist was like, oh, she doesn't feel anything. I was like, no she very obviously felt some stuff and but she's trying to protect her people and she's trying to warn them that this isn't going away and if this isn't the only one out there the fur trappers are going to come get us so we need to go to better protected ground which i appreciate now i love this so i didn't really know this because it shows so she gives the chief the decapitated head of the yeah. predator <laughs> but she also gives him Raphael's Raphael obviously mm-hmm. Adel- and we see his last name for the first time which is Adelini gun and so I didn't know this because I had never seen yeah. this Predator film but it's the gun that's given to Mike Harrington's character at the end of Predator mm-hmm. 2 and this is the even cooler part I thought so they didn't have that original prop used in P2 so they were like what can we do what can we do and they were watching I guess this fan made video of a fan who made the gun and then they were like hey can we actually use that gun so they actually borrowed this prop from a fan, which Aww. I thought was really, was really, really that cool. That is cool. The only thing that upsets me about that is that that means that the Predator got the gun eventually. So did he, did they come back and kill the whole tribe? Okay, so this is, a, this is the one thing that worries me a little bit. So we see Nauru's kind of declared as the new war chief. She has this fluorescent green blood all over her, and she's finally recognized for the warrior that she is. So then we see the credits, and there's oh, these yeah, really yeah. cool we see these really cool hide paintings and it's like tells the story of the whole movie and the last painting is them celebrating Nauru but then it turns and there's all these predator ships that are painted in the clouds yeah so which I think is great because you could either take the optim like the pessimistic route like oh my god they are eventually killed off by these predators or maybe it's a sequel and we'll yeah. see yeah or they're just alluding board. to the movie's that yeah, the Predator movies. But somehow that gun ended up with the Predator stuff, so it may have killed them all. But maybe it was passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. Who knows? I hope not. Mm-hmm. It's a good ending. It's not like 
they celebrate her, but it's not, like, overly cheery either because, like, yeah. she is, like, very determined. But I liked this movie, Britt. I'm glad you picked it. It's a really, really, I really, really like this one, too. I keep reading this. Now, granted, I'm not, like, a huge, like, I, I will admit I'm a Predator novice, but I, I kept hearing that this one was as good as the first one and that the first one and this one are really the only two worth watching is yeah. what I keep reading. So. <laughs> Unless you just, yeah. like the predator itself if that's your yeah your goof your gag that's cool not really my thing but i think this movie has a lot of great things pros representation thank you thank you for like like representing and like actually listening to relatives of the people that these characters are based on like thank you so much for doing that this is nice and i i love that they did dub it in the Comanche language. There was so much attention to detail in the script too. Yeah. Like, and and they're kind of elevating a kind of, like you said, you like, it's kind of a tired franchise. They have tried to revamp this before and not done a good job several times. And this, by adding such humanity to the characters and focusing on the human characters less than the Predator, it just made everything like so much more relatable. And like the fact that like you actually want these characters to succeed, I think is a big, selling point for this yeah but yeah i mean the acting's great there wasn't a single bad performance in this movie i did hear a couple people say like the cgi animals are a little bit eh but i think that's more budgetary constraints i think they did a good job with what they had it didn't seem that fakey i don't think i don't think it was the worst or the best i thought it was very middle ground but i i will say the cgi animals in this movie look more believable than about 70% of other CGI animals I've seen. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was believable enough for me. And I would rather them use CGI animals for, like, violent fights. Yeah. Than, like, them use a real animal and, like, risk them getting hurt or hurting a person. You know, especially when you're using a wolf and a bear. Yeah. And they, like, they just paid such close attention to, like, again, it's not completely historically accurate. But it's mostly, it's believably historically accurate. And I gotta say, I think probably one of the best parts is that there isn't any, like, cringy feminist stuff in it. Like, it's a feminist perspective, but it's very realistic. Like, I always cringe at, like, I know Peter Jackson meant well, but, like, the line, I am no man, in... Return of the King, I just thought was the stupidest line because she's already taken her helmet off. It's just overkill. And there wasn't a moment like this. It wasn't about her just being a woman. It was about her proving herself as a warrior. And she failed the first time she tried to hunt. And so I think it was important that it was more than just like, oh, I'm a woman. And that's yeah. it, that wasn't really the point. I feel like it works better if she's a female. But like you probably could have had Tabe be the main character and she could have been the warrior. And it would have been just as interesting of a story. Maybe not as interesting to me. But I feel like, you know, it's believable. I think when, like, you're a woman, like, so how I personally feel, yes, I root for the fact that she's a girl kind of essentially proving herself in a man's world. Because how many times have we talked about female directors even have to approve themselves like that? So that's great. What's true? But... I think what makes it universal is going back to the idea of Dan saying how many times have, it doesn't matter your gender, how many times have you been told you can't do something and inside you know you're capable of doing it. And it's a David and Goliath kind of thing too. Yeah. And that's why I think, like, I'm like, I don't think you have to be a female to enjoy this movie to relate to this character in any way. No, I don't think. That's why, like, I feel like 
if you see this movie, you know this, but it is not, even though it does have a feminist perspective a little bit, that's not really the main lesson to be learned. It's more of like persevering and using brains over brawn and figure protecting your people. And it's a warrior's tale. And I really liked it. Uh, was there anything I didn't mention? That. I mean, no, I think you, you went over most of the stuff I mentioned. That's my main pro. So, I mean, representation, that's wonderful. I just, I love that we have another badass final girl character. Yeah. So, honestly, Naru's become one of my favorites since I've seen Aaron and Your Next. And incidentally, Your Next <laughs> was released 12 years ago now. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So, I mean, I just love that they you, they took a character and her shrank was her perception and her deep the deep the attention to detail it's like she's so smart and i love that Mm -hmm. she's a strong person she's a fighter but the reason she soars above is because she she sees things that other people don't see yeah they have a cute dog in the movie and it's a shelter dog at that yeah always a plot i love they did the comanche dub like you said i think it's a cool way to preserve the language the cinematography was gorgeous in this movie Mm -hmm. they filmed the entire movie outside yeah and Canada, I do believe. But it was on... Mm-hmm. Um, Alberta. It was on a specific... Is it Nakota? Not Lakota. I think. Like a re- like a reservation, too. Which was cool. I was like, that's cool. I was laughing because Dan said he regretted every moment of it. But he's so glad about the final outcome. But basically, his whole time, he was like warring. Because he was like, there's not enough light. And he was freaking out over everything. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. I'd be the same way. Yeah. I do like, um, we've talked about this multiple times, that, so it's great not knowing details about Predator, but if you're like a Predator fan, there's so many great little callbacks, and Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's really cool. And also, it didn't lag. Like, there's so many movies that they lag at some point in the movie, and this movie, it felt like it went so fast because I wasn't bored at any part during the film. The last movie I feel like I really felt that way about it was Star Wars The Force Awakens. <laughs> I'm sure there was another movie since then. But like, yeah, it moved really quickly and it was exciting. They also did a lot of like setup and payoff in the script mm-hmm. with, you know, like with the bog, with the helmet stuff, with the flower, the orange flower, the like so much setup and payoff. And I really, really like that. This is a smart script. It's a really well done script and it's a really well done story. The only thing I don't like, other than, like, I guess the CGI, I don't think it's that bad, but, like, maybe that's a thing. I wish it was in theaters. That is a big complaint from many different people, is that they don't understand why this movie didn't get a theatrical release. But I will say, I think Hulu knew what it was doing, because it definitely, you feel a lot with those direct-to-streaming services, like, that it must be a bad movie, but... It, this this was like the flip of that. They had a really good thing and they're like, you know what? We're going to drop it and more people are going to watch it in their homes because we're going to drop it on this streaming service. Yeah, and I think also it may have gotten postponed for COVID too, but I don't know if it was the release or the production that got postponed. I can't remember. And I need to look this up, but I do feel like there must have been a limited theatrical release because at least in one review, I read the interviewer going, I was lucky enough to see this on a big screen theater. So it may have got major. I know they showed the Comanche Nation it because mm-hmm. amber mid thunder was saying how nervous she was because they took it to jane myers tri- like tribe like her oh that's cool specific <laughs> and showed it to them for their approval <laughs> and she was like i was really really nervous but they liked it so that was good i was like well no i would be super nervous anyways good movie would you recommend it absolutely yes 
Did you have a rating? I gave this an 8.5 out of 10. Like I said, the only, I mean, I couldn't think of anything that was just glaringly like, this is like a bad plot development or you know that I just hated this part of the movie or this actor couldn't act there is nothing like that for me yeah I wouldn't say it's a masterpiece because the story is more simplistic but Mm -hmm. it's a really damn good movie and I really liked it I I gave it an 8 out of 10 because I felt like the same I was like not a masterpiece but it's really good and it's there's not a lot of weak aspects of it there's really not any and they just, I, I hope this means that this director gets to do more stuff because I'm surprised he hasn't done a lot of films between now and 10 Cloverfield Lane because that was a pretty big hit. And yeah. it was also really well written and really well directed. So I'm hoping that maybe they can do another one, maybe with that writer, this writer as well, because I think they both work really well together. Did you have a Grindhouse Girls rating, Brent? I did. So I rated it B for Beavers, Brothers, and Best Boys. Oh. I, I had a B. I had a B for Buffalo, Boomerang, Hatchets, and Big Bad Baddies. Oh. But I also had H for Hounds, Hatchets, and Harrowing Hunts. Yeah. I like yes. I, I like both of them for different reasons, but H, mm. I, I think H is pretty good. We're doing, okay. We'll do. Yeah. Rated H. Just because I love B initials for obvious reasons, but I feel like we get, I feel like we get, I don't know why, but I feel like we lean towards Bs a lot when we give film ratings. Okay, so I guess it's time to pick next week's movie. Yes. So next episode, next so next episode we'll be covering some moving news on sidetracks, but after that, the next full episode we have, we will be doing Master which is a 2022, so this year, um, psychological horror thriller, which is written and directed by Mariama Diallo. And it's her directorial debut. So right up our alley. Um, Female director. It stars Regina Hall and Amber Gray. Uh, It was at the Sundance Film Festival in January. And Amazon Prime picked it up, like snapped it up. So please watch that before our next full episode. And next week, we'll have sidetracks. Where yeah. We'll talk about movie news. Maybe we'll both watch the Hellraiser thing. And we'll probably talk about House of the Dragon. Yeah. Because we did watch. We'll have watched the first two episodes by that point. But um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Brett, for picking out Prey. Because it was a surprisingly amazing watch. And I'm so yeah. happy that now there's a Predator movie that I really like. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. I know people are getting back to school. If you're a teacher, back to work. God bless you. Please stay safe. Vote in your midterm elections. You know, I know I think the last big set of primaries just happen this week so get ready for midterms we love you guys be good to one another take your vitamins wash your hands get vaccinated get your dogs vaccinated anyways i think that's all i have to say but i love you guys thank you brent as always and yeah yeah we'll see you guys soon yeah guys this is a reminder drink your water i'm about to go fill up my water bottle before bed so i can wake up in the middle of the night to pee good times but yeah fill your water up it is finally cooling down here a little bit because of all the rain but this is a reminder wear your sunscreen uh 
It's yes. still very hot outside. Keep those babies off the hot pavement. Yeah, we appreciate each and every one of you. This is a reminder. Uh, I was telling somebody this um, the other day. I'm like, if you want, you want us to review a certain movie, tell us about it. Tell us a movie you like to hear us talk about. If you want to come on as yes. a guest, you do not have to be like a celebrity in some capacity. You can just come on as a guest if you want to talk about a movie. We love guest episodes. So that is an open invitation to slide into our DMs if you like to. Slide on in, baby. Yes, slide on in. Thank you, Katie. Um, as always, uh, again, we love you guys. Thank you for listening, liking, subscribing, sharing. Yes. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, take care of yourselves and each other. And as always, uh, we will see you next time. Same spooky yeah. time, same spooky channel. Hell yeah. Stay spooky, y'all. Stay spooky, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye Katie. Bye, Gizmo. Bye, everybody. Bye, all the puppies and kitties. Bye, Taylor, I guess, too. Bye, bye Ryan, since you'll be listening. Bye, Ryan! Bye, Ryan! Bye, Ryan! See you later. Bye! Grindhouse Girls Podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.